Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Thank you. Welcome, persisters and brothers. I am so honored and elated to have Terry McDougall with me today. Terry is an author and a, an executive coach, and she's going to talk a little bit more about that toward the end as to where we can contact her. But Terry has a really compelling story of something wonderful that didn't happen for her <laughs> and how she was able to turn that around and really make that a sustainable life for her, make an amazing career, and then help other people do the same thing. So I'm honored to have Terry, and I want to get started with her telling the story of what nearly happened. Hi, Elizabeth. It's so good to be here with you and your listeners today. So Thank you. if you'd like, I can just jump right into that story. I would love it because we've all had that moment where we pinned, we hinged our success on one thing that we had to get, which was maybe a great job. So tell us about your story. Yeah. So I had been working at a bank in marketing for about eight years, and I had spent a couple of years there working under the head of marketing for one of the divisions. And I was what I would consider to be his right-hand person. Whenever anything new happened, he'd have me come in his office and sort of be a sounding board and help strategize with what our approach was going to be. And it was it was a really great, uh, I think, mutually beneficial relationship. I learned a ton from him about just how to navigate in the corporate world. And I think that he really leveraged my depth of marketing expertise as well. Well, he left the bank. And I got to a point where I was like, okay, well, I've sort of, you know, sat at his right hand, and I've seen how things are done. I think I'm ready for this next step. And in the few months after he left, but before they started recruiting, I actually informally stepped up into the leadership position for our department. And I was leading our planning efforts for the next calendar year. I was sort of the point of contact for our um, partners within the business. And I, I really sort of considered myself to be the heir apparent for that role. So I applied for it. Um, the first interview was with HR. I sailed through that, no problem. The second interview was a panel interview with several people from the greater marketing department. And this, this was a pretty large bank and the marketing department was um, at least a couple hundred people, you know, in, in different cities and so forth. And so I traveled to our headquarters city for this panel interview. And I'll just tell you right off the bat, I didn't do anything special. I actually hadn't interviewed in eight years. And I just went in thinking like, well, I know these people and I know what I've done. And right. Um, I got into the interview and I just sort of got the flop sweats and did terribly. I, I just sort of got tongue tied, didn't feel confident about how to talk about the value that I brought to the organization because I hadn't thought about it and I had not <laughs> rehearsed it. Right. And so needless to say, I was eliminated from the recruiting process okay. and that was a big blow to me sure. because like I said, I kind of thought, Hey, you know, this is, I'm ready. And I'm here and I understand what needs to be done. Um, but I did not communicate that well to people that had some influence over the decision. Um, so I 
felt kind of humiliated. Sure. <laughs> but I decided to do something about it uh, because I, even though I knew that, you know, that opportunity was gone, I didn't want to feel like that again. So I, I hired a coach. I worked with her for several months. She helped me to get over my anxiety around interviewing. She helped me to kind of step back, take a more objective view of myself so that I could tell my story in a way that was compelling, you know, sort of pull out the nuggets of my experience so I could talk about the value that I brought to the organization. She also helped me to recognize that if I was ready to move up to that leadership level, that I needed to look the part. And so I went out and did some shopping. I upgraded my wardrobe. I did a little bit of a mini makeover, you know, got my hair done and stuff like that so that I would start, you know, people would start looking at me and saying, yeah, I can imagine her at that level. Right. Right. Um, It just so happened that when they got to the end of the recruiting process and they offered the job to their favorite candidate, she turned it down. And I suppose they just didn't have anybody that they thought would be a good secondary candidate. And so they started the process all over again. And here I am like freshly coached <laughs> good. with a new view on life. So I smart. Reapplied. I reapplied. I didn't really know if they would give me a second shot, but they did. And the second time I did great. I, you know, there were oh. several rounds of interviews and I got to the final round of interviews and it was me and an external candidate as the last two standing. And the last interview I had was also a panel interview, but it was with the CEO of the division and his two top lieutenants. Remember it like it was yesterday sitting in his, <laughs> you know, you know, paneled fancy sure. um, boardroom right off of his office, you know, with a big view of the downtown, downtown city that, that we were in. And I just remember like feeling very confident, very in my element, answering the questions very calmly. I was very proud of the way that I um, comported myself. However, I think they wanted new blood. And so they offered the role to the external candidate. And I was, of course, disappointed. But the day that I found out that I did not get the job, you know, I went out to lunch and I was like, mm, you know, what a bummer, right? right. Two-time loser. That's sure, how I felt. sure. But I came back from lunch and there was a voicemail on my phone from a recruiter about a job. And it ended up that I eventually got an offer for that job, but this was an extraordinary time. And I don't know, I think it's one of those things like if you build it, they will, they will come. Right. <laughs> because by the end of say like this three or four month period, I actually got two job offers and I was actively interviewing for a third role. And I decided to take one of those roles and it actually ended up moving me here to Chicago for um, a great opportunity. And um, the job that I took here in Chicago was I think way better (laughs) than the one that I did not get. And so I just, I feel so happy and I I suppose I'm, I'm proud of myself that in, in spite of the disappointment that I kept going. Right. Right. And even when I didn't know that there was going to be another, you know, another whack at the pinata, (laughs) um, that I, I prepared myself, right. I I was prepared for, an opportunity. And I didn't know what it was, but it was sort of like the universe said, like, once I was ready, 
the opportunities started coming. And that was, uh, that was a, a big milestone in my career because I, I ended up making um, about twice as much money within the first year of that new job than, than I had made previously. For nearly two decades, I worked as a supervisor at a nonprofit and then later in juvenile probation. So I've sat in on scores of hiring panels. One person I worked with more recently was very interested in being a supervisor. And I really mentored this person and tried to grill him on his why. Why did he want to be a supervisor? And what would he feel like if, in fact, he didn't get the job? worked with him on his strengths and weaknesses and maybe how to present the growth that he's had so that he acknowledged some things that had been plaguing him at work, but that he really brought a lot of value. When he didn't get the job, the meltdown lasted for months and it changed everything. How someone behaves when they don't get a job is very, very telling about their character, how they manage disappointment. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people that when they suffer a disappointment, what they don't do is say, rats, what could I do differently? Which I love that you did. But instead, they say, what's wrong with everyone that they don't see my greatness? And I think sometimes gender may play a part in that. You know, women, I I don't know that we're comfortable yet asking for what we are worth or believing in ourselves enough to hire a coach. So I congratulate you so much. But what kind of feedback would you give for someone, a friend of yours, who's about to apply for a job that means a lot to them, but maybe they haven't, maybe they've worked at a certain job for so long that they think, well, I'm a shoe in, they know my work, or they haven't really thought much about it. It's just the next thing that they're doing. So tell us what next steps helped you and that you are now helping other people with. Yeah, I would say that the big mindset shift that I got from working with that coach was that it's not personal, right? Like they were not hiring somebody that they liked, right? right? They were hiring somebody that could bring and add value in that role. And, you know, had they been hiring somebody that they liked, I probably would have gotten the job, right? Because people knew me and they liked me. But where I fell short was that I did not step away from myself and look objectively at at the value that I had brought to the organization. And I did not practice talking about that. Um, you know, I, as a coach, will have people think about the fact that there's only three ways to add value for organizations and particularly for-profit organizations. You're either going to help them make money, save money, or reduce risk. Great. Okay. And the closer that you can connect the activities that you've done to one of those areas of value, the stronger your case is going to be. And it's, it's really hard sometimes for people to step out of that personal, like, oh, here's all the things that I did. And isn't that great? You've got to boil it down to more of a business case type thing, right? Like, okay, this was the problem. Here's the action that I took. And this was the result. You know, we increased, um, you know, business by 20%. We reduced the production time by 10% because of this project that I undertook. Because you're, when you're doing that, you're demonstrating that you understand 
the needs of the business. Right. Right. And with any business, it's not about like, oh, we like you. It's about what value are you bringing? And if you're bringing, you know, if you're bringing a certain amount of value and then you're going to command a certain amount of compensation. Good. I like that very much. That makes it so not personal, but just very clear, very salient. These are the things to be thinking about as you formulate your answers. So fantastic. Mm -hmm. So many people come to an interview panel and they'll say things like, well, my one weakness is that I work so hard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that's not original. It's not. I know that. I Well, and I don't think it's a positive either. I mean, I think that a lot of times people will use that answer because they think that it's it's sort of like a backhanded compliment. Right. You know? Like, <laughs> oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a workaholic. Right. Um, one of one of the um, observations that I've made is that usually people's greatest weakness is their greatest strength overused. Mm-hmm. And I believe the reason why companies ask that question is because they want to get some insight into the self-awareness that the person has. Correct. And, you know, I, I usually will advise people I'm working with to tell a story of a time when they overused a strength and it didn't turn out well and what they learned from it and what they do differently now. Um, because, you know, that that's still probably always going to be Um, Like, say, for example, if you're a take charge person, right, and you're trying to take charge all the time and, you know, stepping on people's feet and all that kind of stuff, like under certain circumstances, that's great, but it's not always great, right? And so if you've learned a lesson, talk about the fact that, you know, I realized that I can't step up and lead everything that that, you know, that discourages other people from taking initiative. So I've learned to step back and allow others to take the lead at times. Right. And the result is that we have better engagement. You know, there are more people that are leading more initiatives, that kind of thing. Um, But, uh, you know, I think that nobody expects any candidate to be perfect. Right. But they would like them to have some self-awareness. Right. Right. And And understands what they're responsible for and, and so forth. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think it's so different than some of the principles of advertising and for someone to want to buy, let's say your book or my book, Mm -hmm. they kind of need to know, like, and trust us. Mm -hmm. But before they get there, we've got to know, like, and trust ourselves and be able to share some things that aren't maybe the most flattering. I don't mean like pull out all your worst work performances in a job interview, but on the other hand, be comfortable sharing the journey as to how you got to the place that you are now. And right. so I really admire that. I think that um, a lot of times people want to be promoted without ever sort of stepping out and taking some risks. And um, it, it's important that if there's something that you want, that you step out and go for it, right? Don't don't try to stay in the shadows or stay in the, the safety zone and say, oh, please, will you come and pluck me out of the chorus line and make me the star? Right. Like, no, if you want that, you've got to go for it. And you, that means that you're probably going to have to take some risks. And maybe you're going to end up being disappointed like I was. I mean, it was, that didn't feel good. And honestly, I will also tell you that when the new guy started, you know, who was my rival for the role, and he kept calling me in his office to pick my brain about all the great ideas I had for what we could do as a department. That did not feel good. Right. Right. I thought, okay, you know, you're going to steal my watch to tell people the time. 
right? Right. And um, but you know, it also it also increased my resolve to go and find that next level role where I could be the one that was leading the charge. That is fantastic. And then how did you tell us about your career and then how you started coaching? Because that's a wonderful journey too. In that uh, role that brought me here to Chicago, I was with that company for just under 12 years. And in the 12 years that I was with them, I had four different roles. So, you know, I, I did the, the job I was brought here um, for, I did for actually seven years. It was a great job. Um, but, you know, seven years is a long time. And so I, I moved on and I did, um, you know, I had three other jobs in the 12 years that I was there. Um, but the last job that I had was not one that I wanted. It was one that my boss wanted me to have. And I, I tried to say no. <laughs> she was like, no, I really want you in this role. And so I, I did it to the best of my ability. I never felt that it was a good fit for me. And, um, you know, I, I found that in those couple of years I was in that role, I just wasn't very happy. And it got me thinking, like, what's next for me? And I was looking around the company. The company is actually foreign owned. It's not the headquarters is not here in the United States. And I was already at the kind of top of the U.S. marketing ladder. I didn't see anything within the organization that was interesting to me. So I started thinking, like, what is my next step? You know, and what I actually decided to do was leave the company without a job. Um, Yeah, I was in a position where I could do that, you know, that I, I could take some time and Honestly, I, I felt like I needed to sort of detox a little bit because I had felt like I had to work really hard just to do my job in that role. It was it just wasn't a great fit for a number of reasons. Some of it was structural. Um, there were just a lot of a lot of issues um, that were sort of beyond what I had control over. Um, and I, I, I spent that time thinking, like, what do I want to do next? And I was doing a lot of networking as well. And I met somebody who introduced me to his wife who had actually been on sort of a similar path. Like she had actually been in PR, but kind of got a little bit blown out and decided that she was going to become a coach. And when I talked with her, I I thought, wow, that sounds great. And when I looked at what I liked to do and what I was good at in my career, you know, a couple skill sets that came to the top of the um, pile were coaching and mentoring staff. I'd always really enjoyed doing that. I, I felt like it paid a lot of dividends for me as a manager to invest a lot of time and energy in my staff. I mean, if people feel empowered, they're going to perform and I don't have to spend a lot of time micromanaging, right? It's just setting expectations, making sure people are prepared to perform. Um, that was really, really fulfilling for me. And so I thought, well, I'm good at it and I like doing it. So I'm going to get a, a coaching certificate. I did not initially think that I would do this full time. I thought, okay, eventually I'm going to like sort of get my mojo back and get another job. I'll finish this, uh, you know, coach training program. I'll have this in my back pocket. Maybe I'll have a few clients on the side. I'll use the skills in my next job. And when I get closer to retirement, maybe I'll do it full time. But the funny thing is that, you know, when you're in a program like that, it was uh, six months long. I really got to know my, um, fellow coach trainees very well. And many of them were planning on starting businesses. And I, I guess it was just sort of contagious. You know, I, I thought, well, if all these people are doing it, I think I can do it too. And 
so I decided to go for it and you know, I haven't really looked back. It's been, it's been four years since I left my job and a um, little more than three years since I finished the coach training and it, you know, every year gets better. And I'm, I'm really, really happy with the pivot that I made. Um, it just feels like it's really genuine to who I am now at this point in my life and my career. Right. I think, and they get to benefit from all of your experiences, which is so terrific. And then you started writing the book. So let's hear a little bit about that. Your journey, writing, publishing, all of it. You know, funny enough, also part of my, I guess, sort of um, detox slash rehab from, you know, the toxic environment that I was in those last couple of years, um, I started blogging right around the time I was leaving. And it was really me kind of thinking back over my career and saying, okay, what are some of the lessons that I've learned or like what was going on and, and writing about it helped me process, but it also helped me, you know, I, I liked the fact that I could share these lessons with other people and I was getting good feedback from people that were following the blog. And I actually blogged pretty regularly for about two years and somebody along the line said, well, how many words do you have in your blog? And I was like, I, I really have no idea. I mean, I knew I had like probably at least 30, um, bl you know, blog posts that were out there. And I tended to write a little bit longer than you know, a normal blog post. And um, so I downloaded them and I had about 25 or 30,000 words. And, and the guy was like, you got enough for a book. And I was like, oh, wow, I never really thought about that. Around the same time, a friend of mine said, I'm going through this book writing program. And she started telling me about it. I thought it sounded great because I had this idea, like maybe I want to write a book, but I wasn't exactly sure how to do it. And so I joined that program and they, um, they guided us step by step through how to write the book. Um, it's, it's actually what they call a hybrid publishing program because my book is you know, quote unquote, self-published, but I did it through a publishing company. I own 100% of the royalties for my book, um, but they guided us through, they did all of the thing, or um, many of the things that a traditional publisher does, right? So like they, I, I had editors that worked with me, they laid out the book, they did the, the cover, they guided me through everything I needed to do to get it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all of that, um, which I'm eternally grateful for because I, I'm like one of those foolish people that thinks that, oh, I can figure it out. <laughs> and I would have, I would have like gotten so stuck in the rabbit hole had I tried to do this without guidance. Right. Um, because there were a lot of things that just, I just wouldn't have even known what to do. Right. But, you know, having a experienced publisher guide you through it made all the difference. And um, so, you know, the book came out last April, which, uh, I was very happy, but the timing kind of stunk, <laughs> you know, because it was right after, I mean, it was actually delayed even because of the pandemic right. and, the, and the lockdown. Um, and it, it's, it's a little bit tough. I, I've, I've, um, I've sort of said that this is, it's sort of analogous to having a baby in that you put a lot of effort in it and it's like painful at times and it's heavy and all of that. And actually, my first son was two weeks late. And, you know, every day between his due date and when he was born, I got up and cried because I was like, oh, when is this baby going to come? And that was kind of the same thing with the book. Like, my book was supposed to be done in March. Right. And 
I didn't know when it was going to come. Actually, it was it was on the Amazon platform for people to order, but I didn't actually get the actual book until late April. And uh, so it was almost like my my baby was in, you know, NICU. <laughs> I, I <Right>. couldn't hold it, <laughs> you know. Um, so when I finally got it, I was like, oh, yay, finally, I got this, got my baby. But the great thing is, despite the pandemic, you know, you have it forever. And one thing I teach in my book marketing class is, your book can make you money 70 years past your death. And so it really is an asset and you've shared what you know with readers and they're going to benefit from it. I know that because just listening to you, having your talk points, you know, these are very, very helpful things, not just for people who are considering getting some job coaching, which they should, you've got a great program, but you know, you've some career coaching rather, but on the other hand, people who are going through anything that requires them to have faith in themselves to maybe do an internal makeover to get to the, the dream that they wanted or get through a time that they needed to get through. So, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I'm really glad. Please tell us the title of your book and where we can best find all the links best about you, you know, social media, all those things. Like what, what is your book title and, and your website? And then we'll find the other things there. Name of the book is Winning the Game of Work, Career, Happiness, and Success on Your Own Terms. And that is available on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, uh, both as an ebook and paperback. I hope to have the audiobook out later this year. Um, if people are interested in learning more about me and my coaching programs, they can uh, reach out to me through my website, which is terrybmcdougall.com. I'm also very active on LinkedIn and people can reach me there. Um, my handle is Terry B. McDougall. Um, I also have a podcast, which is called Marketing Mambo. And it's, um, you know, I was I a marketer. Such yeah, a great they, title. It's where I cha-cha chat with marketing movers and shakers from around the globe. So it's, right. it's a lot of fun. Um, if you're interested in marketing or just hearing people's stories, um, I'd encourage you to check it out. You can find that at marketingmombo.net or on any of the podcast platforms. And I think that's it. I think I've covered everything. <laughs> I am so grateful that you are here today. And thank you. I'm going to put those links in the show notes, you know, uh, so people will see your picture, see your book and be able to reach out to you. And thank you for being here. I've loved I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.